Today's reading is John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 978 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our gracious God, we come into this place and we sit in these seats, often with some degree of anxiety. Maybe it's just simple social anxiety, but maybe it's anxiety about um, intention that we have with the idea of a God in our life and what that story has been like for us. Maybe it's been a painful one, maybe it's been a, um, just an unpredictable one. So some of us come here with an unease, and we sit down, and, and maybe it's an unease that says, I, we don't even know if we belong here. Is this even the kind of place that we should be? Others of us come and we might have an unease that speaks to grief or sadness or difficulty that we've gone through. Maybe we're hoping 2016 is a very different kind of year than 2015. Others of us come with newness of life. It may be challenging, it may be overwhelming, but there's good there. There's answered prayers there. There's things to celebrate. And others of us come, God, with, um, with, with maybe just some kind of regret or guilt. Something we can't shake and we wish we could, maybe we know we should, and we come looking to, be, to have the burden released off our shoulders this morning. From all these different places, the truth is we sit here, all of us, we're in the same boat, and that we need your grace more than we want others to know. We're more of a mess than we want others to know. We're, we're broken. We're, we're filled with flaws. We fall short. Our devotion is imperfect. And so... Help us then to connect with your grace. 
the grace that you promise, the sort of love that says um, we are definitively and finally more loved than we ever imagined possible through Jesus. Despite our failure, despite our brokenness, in spite of it. That's how you love us. You move towards broken people. And may we experience you doing that to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Who bought a Powerball ticket? <laughs> I love it, the honesty. All right. All right. Powerball. Who thought about buying a ticket? Yeah? Who didn't even know like where how to start like buying one and get it like where you right like <laughs> I want to but what how does that all work where do I go 1.5 billion dollars Did it catch your imagination a little bit did you catch it, you know did it draw you in in some way the enormity the enormity of it 1.5 billion dollars ridiculous abundance I got to admit, I, I, I got drawn in. I thought about, not just in preparation for the sermon. I got, you know, I got drawn in. I, I thought about what I would do with that money. I thought about, um, I tried to think about how much money that really is. Like if, there's a, if it ends up being a billion dollars that someone gets, what would, I, what would that be like to have that? Um, if, if I was to win a million dollar jackpot, I could finance my four children's college, I could pay off my house, and then still have some for retirement. If, if it was a billion-dollar jackpot, I could do that, and then to a thousand other families, I could bless them with the same. I mean, it's just like... And that's what I would do. There was this ticket buying frenzy that made the that that increased the amount by like fifty percent. So it jumped from one billion to one point five because it captured people's imaginations. This eye-popping, mind-boggling jackpot. Just something about it being that big. The odds didn't change. You know, a million for most people would be plenty. <laughs> But for some reason, when it got into you know, that amount, it captured people's imaginations. The Gospel writer of John begins Jesus' ministry, begins framing what his ministry was all about, and he chooses the, the story to typify and to launch it out off. It's this story, and he's, he's trying to capture our imaginations with a festive abundance. A festive abundance in this story of the changing of water into wine. I doubt that, um, you know, and we, and really it's a festive abundance that is an answer to the world's problems. There's a problem in this passage that we'll see. And this is a festive, abundant response to a problem. And you and I have problems. And in 2016, I'm pretty sure none of you will win a Powerball jackpot. 
even though some of you buy tickets, apparently. So. But you will not... <laughs> just kidding. Um, but you will not win. I don't, I, I don't think any of you will win, but I'm pretty sure some of you will encounter things this year that you didn't expect that are really not fun, that were not in your plans, that you will feel like you do not have the resources to handle. And when we, we will all encounter that in our lives, and some of you, 2015 was the year. When we encounter these kinds of things, when our life turns into something that, where there's problems that we don't have the solutions to, like we normally think we do, we end up getting drawn into a mentality of scarcity. And we look at our life as lacking. And that's why we're so susceptible to a $1.5 billion jackpot, because that's so predominant in our life, the scarcity mentality. John, as he writes this story and is introducing you to Jesus, kind of like, okay, here's, let's get going and figuring out what Jesus is all about. He's giving you a picture of what, what can you assume life with Jesus is like amidst those kind of problems and difficulties that we face. What, it, what are some of the baseline sensibilities of what it's like to approach a broken world and broken lives and incredible problems and troubles that we'll face with sort of a, a foundation that is sort of the Jesus life or the, you know, I have Jesus in my life amidst that trouble. What changes how you view the very problems that you're going to face because of Jesus. And it's all summarized by this, this festive abundance mentality rather than scarcity. Let's look at it a little closer because there's a lot more than we imagine with Jesus. And let's start by saying what we see in this passage is that there's, it's a lot more festive than we imagine. Meeting Jesus, having Jesus in your life, the whole point of Jesus and God's work through Jesus is way more festive and celebrative than you imagine. You see it right away, and that this story happens. Jesus' ministry is getting launched off at a party. It's a party. It's not in an orphanage or something, you know, something heavy, something socially conscious that, that we would think this, you, you want to typify doing good in the world. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It gives you pause. A party. And not just that, it's not just that he's at a party, but that it's amidst the, it's, it's, it's wine. You know? Let's drink and be happy together and have a good time. Jesus' miracle here is so that a party and, the, and the, the joy of this party can continue and not end. And there is a side of this in terms of the problem you know, socially speaking, what was going on. There was a family here, the host family, that was about to enter into um, pretty dramatic social disgrace, potentially social ruin for um, something that was supposed to happen, something this party was supposed to be lavish and continue. This was a wedding banquet. This was a big deal. There were understandings about how this party needed to happen in this kind of way for it to run out here. This is Jesus, in a sense, responding to potential social ruin for a family. 
and so it seems despite Jesus' reticence, I don't know if you caught the interaction, the whole interaction really is around his, his mother is prominent in the story. Um, despite his reticence to launch his public ministry in this way, it seems like she kind of corners him in it as if you can trap Jesus in a corner, but maybe his mother could, I guess, is the only, <laughs> you know. But it's almost as if she's, despite his reticence, she's like, mom knows best, and she just turns and says, look to a solution in him. He'll just go, go, go to him and do what he says. Um, and, and Jesus, despite the fact that he doesn't seem to, this maybe wasn't in his plans, I don't know how to say that, um, but despite that, he seems to look around, this is my guess, as he looks around and he says, okay, huge festive party, those, those giant stone jugs of water over there, the problem has to do with wine, which is a celebration element right now, okay, this will work, this will work, This'll, this will communicate the mood, the temperament, and the mode of what Jesus is all about in our world and in your lives. He wasn't afraid to be known for this. People accused him um, as if this was a problem. They accused him for being one who came uh, and allowed there to be messianic hopes all around him. This is, this is the Messiah. He allowed for that, and yet he came eating and drinking. It was a way of saying he came kind of in the wrong mode. He didn't come with sobriety, and seriousness. He, he, sure, he probably had a lot of that, but he, and it's clear from the stories he did, but he also came to give us a sense of the festive mood. I'm not coming, just, I'm not coming in, the, in the mode of fasting. I'm coming in the mode of feasting. And that says a lot about what Jesus is all about. And he didn't give up on this wedding imagery. It didn't, doesn't stop here. A lot of Jesus' own parables that invite us to imagine what, it's like to connect with God and to know God's grace and to understand Jesus' ministry. A lot of them relate to banquets and, and feasts. Um, and it seems also in some of those, like one of our big problems is our resistance to enter into that mode. So one of the parables that's told a few different ways is of people refusing an invitation to this huge free celebration the idea that this invitation comes, it's quite a social honor to be invited and to come and just to come celebrate at this banquet. That's what you know, Jesus is saying. That's what God is like. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what I'm like as I come. And yet the, 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 kind of the, the thing that gives you pause is all these people having reasons why not to enter into this festive mode. So that's something to think about in terms of, you know... Uh, what it means to transition into the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian, is to live with an undertone of festivity. There's something about it. There's something that just, you know, wearing on, in a sense, on your soul, wearing on your soul a deep and satisfying smile amidst all the pain and struggle that you're going to face in this world. 
that there's still something, and not, not, I'm not talking church phony smile. I know some of you have that perfected. I know I often do. I, I'm a minister. They t- have a class on that at seminary, you know, the fake smile. No, they don't. I'm just kidding. But, you, you know, I'm right in there with you. That fakeness, you know, oh, no, I'm happy. Everything's fine. No, this is that deep sense, that deep festivity, that undertone that grounds your life. Um... Moses, his first miracle was to turn water into blood. Jesus' first miracle is to turn water into wine. It's indicative of what, he's, of what this tone and this mode is for Jesus. It's why we sing. It's why at church, I know some of you are like, I just wish the one thing about church, I wish we didn't have to sing, right? I wish I didn't, you know, it's, part, it's just part of the, it's part of the undertone of grace, of the, the grace of Jesus making its way into people's life, is that singing typifies, I mean, to sing, it's like saying, that gets it. And they're not all happy songs. And it's not to say, let's just all sing and pretend problems don't happen, but it's, like I said, it's this more of a deep soul uh, festivity amidst the very things that you're crying about, amidst and punctuated by the troubles that you face in life. In two places in the New Testament, congregations are encouraged and told and commanded in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and Colossians 3 to sing together, sing. And Christian worship has that role, like that song, that one song says, come now fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, tune. Our hearts over time get tuned to this new, this key change in our life this new mode that we operate within. That's communicated in the, in, the, in the wedding water to wine story, this new festivity, this undertone of festivity. But secondly, Jesus also brings more abundance than you ever imagined. Just the sheer, I mean, now we're talking quantity. We're not talking about the mode and the mood and the tone. We're talking about quantity. Quantity. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. He said, fill them with water, and so they filled them. Um, it equals uh, somewhere around, somewhere in the ballpark of 600 bottles of wine or more. I mean, I'm trying to not be like exaggerate. 600 bottles of wine, you picture that. It's like loading up two giant, not, not a small crate, but a giant full-size crate if you were boxing them up and shipping them. Two giant crates taller than me, wider than I can extend my arms. Um, this is a lot. This is a lot of wine. In today's pricing, depending on how much you think good wine costs or you should pay for it and where you get it, uh, my rough calculation, some people overshot this in there. I don't, know, I don't know how people are figuring things, but in how I kind of calculated it, $12,000 to $20,000. That's, kind of, that's like the gift Jesus gave this, this wedding, this banquet. Um, that's a lot. And that's what... That's what um, God is not afraid to communicate about his operation in our lives and in our world. The kind of expectation we should have 
about what it's like, what it feels like, when God sort of is the foundation amidst the struggles, the trials, the things you face. Some people will say, some people will take this, and you've maybe heard this, this, so this maybe goes along the line of a late-night TV preacher or something, Um, and I'm not afraid to, to call, in a sense, call it out and say that, this is not, and the Bible is not, doesn't operate this way of saying, um, you know, if, if you give a little bit to God, then you'll get, you know, some proportion back. That, like, that, that this is about some way you can trick or manipulate God to give you a lot of things. It's just a concept of, about God, about the abundance, ridiculous, eye-popping, mind-boggling abundance that comes with, Jesus, with God and Jesus. And so you have stories in the Old Testament that go along the same lines. The widow whose flour and oil don't run out so that she and her child don't starve to death. The, the widow who comes to the prophet Elisha and says, the creditors are coming because my husband died. I have nothing. He says, what do you have? She says, I have a tiny bit of oil, of olive oil. And he says... Go to all your neighbors, they'll think you're crazy, but ask them for jars and gather as many as you can and then start pouring the oil into those jars. And, and then she does, and uh, sh- they fill up all the jars. And the creditors were going to come to take her sons away for payment to, as slaves. So she's going to do what this prophet says, and she fills up the jars, and they're all full until the jars run out. She goes back to the prophet. He says, now sell all that oil and that'll pay off your debt, and the rest you can use to live on. Apparently it was a lot, a lot of oil. And may, or maybe oil just cost a, a lot back then. But it was enough to pay off debt and live on. It was like winning the lottery. Jesus, Jesus uh, a child came up in the situation where there were 5,000 people. A child comes up with uh, five loaves, two fish, and it becomes enough food through Jesus breaking the bread for the 5,000 people to be fed and baskets and baskets left over abundance. Now, what is the, what is the takeaway for these? Because Jesus is, this is at the beginning of his ministry, yet his disciples are with him, we learn. And it says in verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. The disciples put their faith in him. That's where this is all going. It's sort of the shocking abundance, the incredible eye-popping, attention-getting thing draws you to have faith in Jesus, draws you to have a connection with Jesus. The disciples don't get rich. They don't take home. It doesn't seem like they took home a lifetime supply of wine with them afterwards, and that's why they like Jesus. I know in Northern Californians, that maybe is the nature of your prayers, you know, but wine lovers that you are, but... They, they don't, there's no indication that they personally benefit or receive something out of this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's this sense of who Jesus is. They don't walk away with a lot winning lottery ticket or a year supply of wine. They walk away with Jesus in their life. The source of the abundance. They're not looking for what Jesus can give them. They're moving forward with Jesus himself in their life. And sometimes, quite frankly, for some of us, that's a transition in our prayer life that is like, the, like turning the Titanic. It's a paradigm shift to, to no longer going to God for God's gifts, but going to God for God. And then Jesus, thirdly, brings superior quality than what you ever imagined. 
verse 10 tells us this, this interesting thing that the, uh, ser- the, the one, the head servant who's in charge of pulling off this party and managing all the details says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. He saved the best. This is really, really, really good wine. What's a good bottle of wine in Northern California? What's a, like the best? Does anybody? Silvero? All right. I've heard of one called, uh, I think it's called Crankshaft or Crankcase, something like that. Has anybody heard of that one? <laughs> I'm serious. I always get it wrong, though, what it's called. It's one of those two, and I, I think it's made by Burgold. My parents like it. I think it costs like $100 for a bottle or something like that. So it's this once-in-a-long-time thing. You get the sense that's what Jesus has here. Jesus couldn't enter the stage of his ministry um, and produce gallons and gallons, hundreds of gallons of gallo table wine or two-buck chuck. He, pro- he produces silvero. Is that what you said it was? Silvero. Because that, if he did that, it wouldn't reflect the lavish, abundant, qualitative abundance that comes with Jesus in your life and in our world. So the stage is set. This is what this is what the story is about. That if you draw all of this together, it's about with Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, into your world, uh, into our world, it's about this under this new undertone, this festive undertone in your life. It's about in a just abundance and a sort of quality that makes everything else that you might have centered your life around seem immediately, instantaneously inferior. There's a lavishness that we're being introduced to and that you're constantly introduced to. You might not buy into this because of this story today, but in some way, if you keep asking questions, you keep um, bringing your questions and doubts to the Bible story and to Jesus, there is a personal persuasion that happens and it's different for every one of us. And one of the things that I get the joy of seeing in our dive group each year is that is that unique personal conversation of persuasion that God has with us um, in which the realness and the abundance gets tasted personally by us. It happens in, every, in different ways, but it's summarized in the New Testament with, if you just, just to pick one verse that gets at this, in Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse, eight, or verse 7 and 8, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced God as as this lavish, festive, abundant giver into your life to meet the problems that you're facing? That might seem radically new to you. That might seem like I've never heard, I've never experienced a Christian community that way? I've never thought of Jesus that way. Um, are, are you serious? Is that, re- is that true? Or are you just making that up? No, this is how it is. One preacher put it this way, with, with God, and there's a, a couple of references here to a, the prodigal son story, so I just want to say, if you don't catch it, it's, it's in the Bible. There's a couple of references here, but most of you will get it, I think. 
With God, the calf is always a fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is always unspeakable. The peace passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure his goodness by drops. It comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make in our lives. That's Haddon Robinson. And I think that's so true. And unfortunately, our eyes are drawn towards the, often the wrong treasures and the wrong solutions and the wrong abundances. We're, we, 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 we look to the Powerball. We look to, you know, knowing if we're blessed by, you know, if we have the right friends or even if just we feel good. The C.S. Lewis says that all of us, we're, we're like humanity. He says, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. The Powerball has nothing on the source of abundance that Jesus is as he comes into our world and your life. Let's pray. Our God of grace, um, amidst our hurt and our pain and, our, and the things that we're facing that, that we don't know what to do with, um, would you enter in and would your lavish abundance be something that if it, it, it may just give us hope amidst discouragement. It may just give us um, a light at the end of the tunnel amidst despair. Um, but it may also at times be something that we taste so richly that new avenues open up in our life that we never thought possible. Because fears and anxieties that have held over our heart our whole life have been driven away now because we've stepped into a different kind of abundance, one that doesn't fade, one that doesn't rust, one that can't get stolen away. May we taste that. Even as we move forward in our worship service and we have a chance to taste of bread and wine at your table, may that feast only remind us and usher us in to the kind of abundance that you provide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we look to a time to continue our worship with the time of offering and um, consider putting a contact card in when those baskets are being passed around. The offering is not a moment where we're hoping to pressure you if you're a new person to our church. There's no sense of uh, obligation. Uh, we're not trying to be in your face with this. It's just something we do as a Christian family. We, we worship God holistically with our whole lives. So it includes um, giving to God of what he's given us. And there, we even try to, um, to pray this together as we go about it. And Sam's going to come up, I think, and lead us in that. Right, Sam? Yeah, okay. <laughs>